Our first Bible reading is from 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The word of the Lord. Luke 13, 22 through 30. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. And the people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the gospel of the Lord. Almighty Father, um, we desire to know Christ. Not, just, not merely to act like, just kind of pretend. Please don't let us pretend. Please don't let any of us pretend. Please, Lord, we want real. And we trust that you are real. You are the source of all reality. So will you come by your Holy Spirit and do whatever is necessary in us so that we may hear and receive your kindness your grace, your gospel, that we might receive you. Thank you, you are kind. And you love to give your Holy Spirit. So do. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And um, if you would, please turn back to the first reading uh, from Second Timothy. We're continuing a series in uh, Paul the Apostle's last letter. This is, this is the swan song. This is the end of the Apostle Paul's 
uh, writing life and very, very close to the end of his life, full stop. And, uh, and he's writing to Timothy, a pastor in uh, Ephesus, modern day uh, Turkey. Paul is in a jail in Rome. Now, the thing that we're going to end up talking about today is preaching. Now, here's the thing with preaching. Preaching is weird. And you should know that no one knows how weird preaching is more than a preacher does. Um, Because we have to do it a lot, and it's weird. It's weird this side of the pulpit, too. And one of the questions that comes up regularly, uh, I don't know if it comes up for you, it probably comes up for you about halfway through a sermon, is why do we do this? Why do we do preaching? Why does it matter? And... um, And what I want to show you in this text is that preaching from the very beginning was central to the succession plan of the church. Here's what I mean. So as I just said, the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. He's about ready to die. He knows he's about ready to die. He mentions it in our reading. I'm at the end of the race, he says. And he writes to to Timothy the next generation, so to speak. And the question is, how is the church, how, what's the succession plan for the church now that the apostles are dying off, Paul's not going not gonna to be on the scene anymore, what's going to be the succession plan for the church? And the apostle, you, know, you can imagine all kinds of succession plans that might be designed, but Paul writes this reading. Look at verse 1. He says, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the, who's the judge of the living and the dead, we'll come back to that, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Do you feel how he's just kind of raising the stakes? And then here's the big reel. Ready? Here's the succession plan. Preach the word. It's very odd. And strangely enough, it has continued to be the succession plan for the church right up until this day. So um, as of tomorrow, uh, I will have been the uh, pastor of this church for three years. And um, three years ago, as of tomorrow, in this room, our bishop, Julian Dobbs, uh, the word is installed me as the pastor, as if I'm a refrigerator. And when I was installed, um, it's, very, it's very good for humility, um, the bishop gave me what's called a license. It's this big piece of paper. It used to be made of parchment. But this has been done for hundreds and hundreds of years. And in my license, it says this. We exhort you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you have in remembrance into how high a dignity and how weighty an office and charge you are called. In communion with and under the guidance of your bishop, you have the biblical responsibility for preaching the word and for administering the holy sacraments and generally for the cure of souls. Have always, therefore, power paramount in your remembrance how great a responsibility and treasure is committed to your charge. And it goes on, but... Can you see how um, that license, 2,000 years later, uh, continues to echo this passage? Preaching is central to the succession plan of the church. Why? Who cares? We should. Let me show you why. 
Look at verse 3. So Paul says, preach the word, and then he gives uh, the reason. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. Um, One of the conversations that's been happening a lot over the last few years is uh, conversations around what we now call echo chambers. You know what I mean by that? I'm sure we all do. Um, the idea is, uh, particularly online, uh, we, um, we're on Facebook, we friend a few people, we like a few things, uh, maybe we follow a few people on other platforms, and all these algorithms, right? I don't even know what that word means, but I, I'm just using it like other people use it. You can tell me what it means later. Um, all these algorithms go into play, and then before long, um, you, uh, your newsfeed is uh, full of voices who are saying things you probably already agree with, and uh, messages that just make you feel good. And of course, the danger in that is that, um, right, isn't this it? That the danger is that we insulate ourselves from real challenge, and we kind of find safety in tribalism, and we do it the whole time uh, kind of enjoying the process, because it, the whole process makes us feel good about ourselves. Um, and, and we could all go around later on and um, uh, probably don't do this, but, but tell everybody what's your favorite news organization and which one's the enemy. You know, you, you can just kind of see that, how it plays out. Today, we talk about echo chambers. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul talked about itching ears, but it's the same dynamic. Because what happens is we all want to hear what we want to hear, Right? And Paul's saying that what happens is that we tend to gather people around us who tend to say the sorts of things that we want to hear. And the cause of it is not technology. Technology probably makes it easier. But the cause, according to the Apostle Paul in our reading, is rooted somewhere very deep in the human heart. Look back at verse 3. You see how he says, we gather teachers around us because we have itching ears and we gather the teachers that suit our own, keyword passions. Now, if you've been with us uh, over the last several months, um, we've talked about passions a number of times. The way Paul uses the word passions is he means uh, desires that are selfish, short-sighted, and deceptive. Now, slow down with me for just a second. Why are passions that are... Selfish, short-sighted, and deceptive. Why is that a problem? Um, if you back up and you look at the big scheme of Scripture, uh, one of the things that, themes that come up is this. Um, according to the Bible, humans typically live uh, with a deeply rooted but usually unspoken assumption. And the deeply held but typically unspoken assumption is this. Um, my desires, Jim's desires are a reliable guide for Jim's life. And we usually don't say it that way. What what we're more likely to say is something like this. Um, Freedom is Jim's liberty to be authentic to Jim and my desires. Something like that. And you can see, even as I frame it that way, I find it rather compelling. Um, However... The Bible says, well, not so fast. 
It's as if the Bible says, let me show you what society looks like when uh, everybody does that, when everybody um, does that at the same time. Um, have you ever read the book of Judges? The book of Judges is one of these seldom, you know, nobody has scripture memory from Judges. Um, the reason for that is that it's, it's, it's awful. Most of it is terrible. And the reason is, it's a case study in uh, Israel at a point in its history when it was most tribal, most violent, and most exploitative towards the vulnerable. And throughout the book, there's this refrain, and it goes like this. It says, in Israel, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Which is to say, during this period, uh, everyone in Israel tried to live authentic to their desires. Everybody uh, trusted that their desires were a reliable path for their lives. But the result, completely unanticipated and unintended, the result was tribalism and violence and exploitation of the vulnerable. Read the book of Judges, it's chilling. Because Israel wasn't free, even as they pursued it. They were captivated by a deep and profound captivity. Now keep that in your mind and bring it back here. Paul says, we all have itching ears. That's why we love our echo chambers. And um, we want people to tell us that our passions are a reliable guide to life. The trouble is, however, according to Paul, is that our passions tend to be gullible. They tend to lead us into myths. Verse 4, they undermine our capacity to tell the difference between truth and fiction. And in the end, we get enslaved by our passions because they're selfish, they're short-sighted, they're deceptive. Now, somebody says, Jim, this is weird. What in the world does this have to do with preaching? And the answer, friends, is it has everything to do with preaching. Why? Because the word of God is designed to shatter our echo chambers. All through the Bible, you can see this in Judges, but many other places. All through the Bible, the word of God comes. And the word of God comes to Israel as a voice from outside it. The word of God comes, it's not, you know, it's not just another TED talk, it's not just another inspiration thing, it's not just another pundit sharing an opinion. The word of God comes as a voice that is bigger and deeper and older and lasts longer than any human voice can. Look at it in the text and look for the language about judgment, Jesus being the judge. Look at verse 1. Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, and this is the key, the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now, what does he mean, and why does he mention Jesus as the judge of the living and the dead? We mentioned that in the creed. Why does it come up here? He's saying something like this. I'll, I'll try to paraphrase it. Timothy, says Paul. Do not imagine that you are preaching in your own voice. You are not competing with the echo chamber and you are not to contribute to it. Timothy, you are a representative not of yourself, but of the one who will have that last word in the end. 
You are a representative of the one who will have the last word when all human voices have faded. You represent Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead. Now, can you feel how that, get, that gets kind of sober? I feel how it gets sober. Do you know how this applies to me? Let me just apply this to me in for a second, okay? It means that if I tamper with the Bible, if I try um, to scratch itchy ears, which is weird, um, that there is a terrible danger that I will end up at the final day before my Lord, who is the judge of the living and the dead, having been guilty of treason before him. And therefore it means that I must always preach as if before the final judgment seat to please Christ and not my hearers. And as sober as that is, and, you know, it clears my airways. Let's just say that. It, it, as, frankly, frightening as that is, I, w I also want you to see that it's a very good thing. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King used to say, you've probably heard this, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Have you heard him say that? And it's a wonderful line. It's full of hope. Um, when, you, when we hear it, though, there's a question, is it true? Is it true? Or is it just uh, lovely rhetoric cloaking naive optimism? For the Christian, the Christian can hear that and know confidently that it is true. And the reason we can is because Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. Because we believe that Jesus is the one who finally bends this universe towards justice. He's the one who ensures that justice wins in the end. He's the one who uh, defines what real justice is, and he's the one who ensures that it prevails. And therefore, as a Christian, we can um, hear Dr. King say that and say, yes, that is right. And it gives us hope for the end. But there's more than that. Because it means that as we, here at Emmanuel and every other church in the world, as we preach the word so as to please Christ and not ourselves, and as we hear the word so as to please Christ and not ourselves, what that means is it's as if that final justice in the end is breaking into our lives now. It's as if we, as we preach the word of Christ and as we receive the word of Christ by faith, this is partially how Jesus Christ is reaching into the now and bending this universe towards his justice. And did you know that you can actually feel Jesus bending us towards his justice? Do you know when you feel it? Do you want to feel the bending of this universe towards justice? Look back at the text, verse 2. When we hear Jesus rebuke us and reprove us and exhort us. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, and um, it's all right, you can be honest. Do you like being rebuked? Of course we don't like being rebuked. It's terrible. It feels uncomfortable. It feels unsafe. It feels it's the worst. Except don't be fooled by that. 
right? Because here's the deal, Emmanuel. If we're never rebuked by the word, and by the way, I, we, we address this first and foremost to ourselves, not to the person next to us, right? If we are never rebuked by the word, then what that means is that the church is just another echo chamber. And so often it becomes that. But on the other hand, when we feel the rebuke, that is Christ shattering the echo chamber and beginning to bend us towards his justice. And therefore, Emmanuel, we must be a people who cultivate a desire to be corrected by Jesus because that's where the transformation is happening. That's when Jesus is reaching down into our desires and our deepest passions and finding the deceptive part of it and transforming them into, into passions and desires that love the truth. That's when Jesus reaches down into the selfish part of our passions and turns us inside out so that we are dominated by love. It's when Jesus reaches down into the short-sighted part of our passions and transforms them so that we live for the long haul and for eternity. And this is super important because I can imagine somebody coming back and saying, oh dear, wait a minute. Did you just, did I hear you right? Did you just say that uh, preaching matters um, because our desires are bad and Jesus wants to judge us for them? That sounds awful. And, and I want to say, that, no, there's more. And here's why. Think about how this worked in the life of the Apostle Paul. Look down to that last reading, last paragraph in our reading. Um, this, remember, this is the Apostle Paul. He's reflecting at the very end of his life, maybe days, maybe months, I don't know, from his, um, from his execution. And you must remember that in the life of the Apostle Paul, he was a preacher before he met Jesus. Uh, he was an echo chamber, for, uh, echo chamber preacher for his tribe. Uh, Jesus told his tribe, the Pharisees, exactly what they wanted to hear. And then, do you remember, on the Damascus Road, Jesus met him. And Jesus told Paul, shockingly, that everything he had done in religion up until that point was in a personal offense against Jesus Christ. Paul had exploited people. He had abused people. It was terrible. Jesus called him on it right then. Jesus met, or Paul met Jesus the judge, and Jesus rebuked him. But now let me ask you a question. Do you think Paul lived the rest of his life after that moment feeling squished by Jesus? Or restrained by Jesus? or repressed by Jesus? Look at the last uh, paragraph, verse 6. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. Friends, that is a man who's facing death uh, with no regret and lots of hope. That's a man who has tasted unassailable joy. And do you know why? 
Because when he met the judge and when he met Jesus Christ, when Jesus rebuked him and pushed back against him, Jesus also did something else at the same moment. Jesus also in that same moment offered him the crown of righteousness. What does that mean? It means Jesus offered him the reward that is appropriate only for someone who has lived life in perfect justice. Because the remarkable thing, when we say that Jesus is the judge, we have to remember that he's a special kind of judge. He is the judge who looks at the guilty and then voluntarily takes the, the guilt upon himself and suffers the penalty and the sentence for the guilty so that the guilty one can receive the reward of righteousness. What I mean is that Jesus was bending the world towards his justice most decisively when he was crushed under the weight of judgment upon the cross. And therefore, when Jesus met Paul, he could rebuke Paul and pardon Paul in the same moment. But it doesn't even stop there. Because when Paul was forgiven by Jesus... The next moment he found in Jesus the fulfillment of his deepest desire. Friends, Jesus doesn't just re Jesus doesn't repress the passions. He transforms them. And then he displays himself to be the final beautiful fulfillment of their deepest longings. You see, Jesus pushed back on Paul's passions only in order to give him something better than all of them. When Jesus, you see, see, Paul was made for Jesus. Paul was made to know God. Paul was made for the love of God, which is only found in Christ. And therefore, Paul wasn't repressed by Jesus. He was liberated to experience and enjoy a love that was beyond his capacity to imagine it. And so he could live his life from that point forward for Christ and without any regret. Now, Emmanuel... That's what Jesus wants to do in us. And that's why, friends, Jesus is always the message. That's why Jesus is always the voice that shatters our echo chambers. Jesus is the voice that liberates us from the deception of our own passion. Jesus is the voice that defines justice and pardons the guilty and then give us, gives us the deepest longings of our soul. So Emmanuel, listen to the voice. Don't ever allow this pulpit to be co-opted by the preacher who stands behind it. We listen for the voice of Jesus Christ as he presents himself in his word. And we look for the one who will make all things right in the end and who has offered amnesty to all the guilty before that. We listen for the voice of Jesus. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.